0: Hello everybody and welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. We're going through it a chapter at a time. We'll be on Mark chapter 12 this week and uh, we're working our way through Mark. Um, It goes pretty quick as you get through it. It's just uh, four chapters left after this one. So then what we're going to do just so we're all on the same page in case you're reading ahead, which I'm sure you're all doing. uh, I'm going to do John next even though Luke comes next in the, in the order that we have the Bible. But we'll do the book of John next. It'll be a little different because John's gospel is different than the than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we've talked about. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are synoptic, and they share pretty much the same information, the same stories, just written to different groups, and, and you get the different personalities right in them that the Holy Spirit was using. Um, John's gospel is just different. Um, we get a lot of different stuff in John's gospel that we don't see in the other three. And... Um, we, we get all of the I Am statements of Jesus uh, in John um, that we don't get in the three Gospels. Um, so it's, it's worth looking. Well, I want to do that because when I do Luke, I want to be able to do Luke and Acts back to back because the the same guy wrote them both. And and so we'll we'll move out of the... the um, in, in Luke, as we end with the, the crucifixion and resurrection, we'll get to move right into the early church sort of seamlessly, and, and that's how the story will, will flow, and you'll begin to see... What takes place. And then um, from there, um, we'll we'll dig into uh, the rest of the the book, and you'll begin to see the ministry of Paul sort of flourish, and uh, he'll be introduced to us in Acts, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Okay? So that's sort of the plan for the next, I don't know how many weeks that is, but uh, it's a whole bunch of them. And then, like I said, it'll take us five years to get through the New Testament, and then 15 years to get through the Old Testament one week at a time, and I asked the Lord that that would be good if I could do that twice. <laughs> and by that second one, it ought to be really good, you know what I mean? All right. So we're in um, Mark chapter 12. Now, um, uh, Mark 11, 12, and 13 uh, sort of break out some things for us that, that we began to talk about. In, in our last chapter, we, we sort of saw um, the mission of the Messiah, and if you remember, we left it where Jesus had um, he had entered his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where we're in the last week of uh, his his earthly ministry, so to speak, before the uh, cross and resurrection. Um, we see the great uh, cheering of the crowds as they um, receive him as Messiah, um, and and the all the prophetic things that take place from Zechariah and from. Um, the, the Psalms and all the things that are happening as Jesus comes in. And and I, I said of note that um, what you need to see in that chapter is that he comes in and that he doesn't make a political entrance. He makes an entrance at the temple. He doesn't go to the political powers. He goes to straighten things out at the temple because that was his, that's the mission in this first, the first time coming was to let people know what God is really like and to make a way for people to have relationship with him, and that he's come, and that this time he comes as a lamb, and he's going to willingly give his life at the cross. He's aware of what's taking place. Jesus knows it's coming. He's been trying to prepare his disciples. They can't get it. They're still waiting for a political reformation. They're, they're convinced that uh, at the what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to come, and ultimately he's going to... Uh, just overthrow the the Roman occupation and set himself up as king, an earthly king, and they're, they're still arguing over the best spots that they're going to have in the process, even though he's been telling them now for uh, uh, the, the latter part of his ministry, guys, that's not how it's going to work. They re, they've refused to receive it. And so he, he demonstrates uh, his intention as he comes and he cleanses the temple. He, he uh, In chapter 11, he demonstrates... Uh, the importance with the fig tree and, and how the fig tree represents Israel and that it it's, it's should have produced fruit and it never did and, and that he, it's cursed and it withers and dies and uh, that's what happens as, as the church will now begin when we, when we get into the early church to take on the mission that God had was to tell people that God loves them and that there's relationship available with God. Um, which was what the, the people of Israel were chosen for and which they got off track on. And um, we've seen how it happened and, and why it happened. We've, we, remember, I've told you, you know, the Pharisees we've talked about started with noble intent. They got off track, and that's the way a lot of things happened. And the way they tried to protect Judaism ultimately was the, the, the way that they messed it up was by trying to put all these rules around it so that no one could have a relationship with God. And it's the tendency of the church today. The church today tends to try and protect um, what it thinks is what they're supposed to do by throwing all sorts of rules around it, and they do the very same thing that the Pharisees did. We have the very same trouble all the time. We have to be very careful of it in each of our lives, of the the tendency to become just like the Pharisees. And and we get hard-hearted, and it's what's been confronted here in Mark over and over again. Jesus kept going to his disciples. Your hearts are hard. That's why you struggle with this. And And he wasn't condemning them, he was saying this is the this is what you have to deal with in a fallen world is that you have to deal with hard-heartedness and it's only by faith in a living God that you'll ever be able to keep your heart soft and pliable because everything wants to take that away and and it's only in in that kind of relationship that we can um, stay in in what he wants and not become critical and judgmental, and we have to watch it all the time. It just comes real quick, and it can get its way off track. So that's what happened in, in last week's um, sort of session, and, and uh, um, that uh, he, he introduces the fact that, that that's not how you have relationship with God. Uh, and in this chapter, he's going to sort of uh, really demonstrate the error of Israel's approach to faith, and contrast for us how it should be and what a life of faith in God really looks like. And so that's what's going to happen in Mark chapter 12. There's 44 verses. They should be there in your notes. You can read along in your Bible. You can read along in your notes. You can just listen to me and whatever other options you can think of, I guess. (laughs) You can fall asleep. Um, Ignore me. Text a friend. I don't really care. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. I don't know how those two things are separated. (laughs) I would say that being struck on the head would be shameful treatment. But nonetheless, that's how it's recorded for us in the gospel. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. I repeated that verse. Uh, He had one left to send a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked away to, for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. You see the same issues that we talked about last week, repeating there. They can't, they can't demonstrate authority because they're afraid of the people. They just want to make the people happy and stay, keep everything the way it is because it works for them but for no one else. Later... They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, "'Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's.' And they were amazed at him. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. "'Teacher,' they said, "'Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother.' Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. I'm sorry. I have to look away and chuckle. (laughs) Okay, I'm better now. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no one but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And blessed be the word of the Lord. All right. So, lots of stuff taking place. And like I said, things are coming quickly to, to a sort of a climax here in these chapters. And... Um, the crowd is still fascinated by Jesus. They, they, uh, they're delighted at His teaching and, and the things that He's saying. They're going to turn shortly, but they're still, they're still there. But He points out some amazing stuff in these verses. And uh, I, I, it's stuff obviously worth noting that, that uh, we'll talk about today. So, um, in the first 12 verses... Jesus uh, teaches a parable um, about landowners. Now, remember, he's just finished 11. He had just been dealing with the same guys who had questioned his authority. And, and they come and question his authority, and they ask this question, you know, by whose authority? And he said, well, answer this question for me, and I'll answer that question for you, and they can't answer the question because they're afraid of the crowd. They're still hanging out when Jesus keeps teaching. And, and he, he drops this parable on them about the landowner. Now, what I think is one of the most fascinating things is up until this point in time these guys never get his parables they don't understand them but all of a sudden they get the parable because jesus is talking about them and um in this parable it's it's uh the the landowner builds a vineyard gets it all set up and then he's going to go on a journey so he rents it out to some tenants and at, at the time of the harvest he sends a representative to get a little of the fruit it's his vineyard and they they're supposed to pay you know that's part of the deal part of the equation and, and yet, they decide they don't want to do it his way. And so, they begin to treat his representatives poorly, as we said. They, they, they beat one, they kill some, and he continues to send representatives. Now, my guess is there wasn't a whole lot of people lining up for that assignment. <laughs> um, so, he ultimately sends his son, whom he says, they'll have to respect my son. And they kill him and throw him out of the vineyard. The, the story is is it's a picture of how God has been trying to relate to his people and that um, for generations he has been trying to get them to turn around and he's been sending them prophet after prophet and they treat them poorly and they, they stone some and they kill some and they reject some and now finally God has sent his only son, Jesus and what Jesus is telling them is You're going to kill him and toss him out as well. And and he says that's really not a good plan because that's that's not how it's supposed to work. But but they hear what he has to say. They get upset even more and they, they begin to intensify their efforts. They've been trying to kill him and arrest him all along. Now it says now they're looking for more ways to arrest him because this is just really messing things up. And yet they're afraid to grab him right there because the crowd is enamored of him. And so they they have to keep plotting and planning. You think at some point they would think that all this stuff they're doing in the darkness maybe there was a problem, but that's not how they think. See, that's he's so messed up their paradigm that they're they're in there digging around trying to find ways to kill him. And and it's a picture of what's been happening for generations of of God sending messengers to tell the people to repent and to come to turn to him with their hearts and to love him, and yet they keep settling for something far less which is just about trying to do the rules what are the rules let me do the rules that's all i want to do and i'm just going to move along from there and and that's that's the heart of the beginning of that parable Uh, and um so they they get angry and they begin once again to try and trap him they've set all sorts of traps you think they would probably learn a lesson but they haven't and the next uh, group of scriptures, 13 through 17, is an interesting pairing of two groups whom, whom they're trying to, who, who go to Jesus to trap him, the Pharisees that we've been talking about and the Herodians. Now the, the Herodians are like a political party and, and we know historically that the Pharisees and the Herodians hate each other. They agree on absolutely nothing. They are, they are at absolute opposite extremes. Um, because the, the Pharisees have been trying to protect Judaism. Herodians have, have said, the best thing for us to do is to come under the whole Roman occupation, to accept it, to deal with it. That's, that's life. And, and, and so they're uh, extreme opposites. And yet they have finally decided to get together over Jesus because they hate him. And I've told you that, that often that's what people unite over. They, offer, they unite over what they hate instead of what they love. And it's another, another big caution in the church. We have to unite over the one we love, not over what we hate. Very, very, very careful in that area. So they get together and they decide they're going to trap Jesus. Now, there's so much hypocrisy here, which is what's being exposed. Jesus in this chapter is exposing all, a lot of their hypocrisy. And, and part of the hypocrisy shows up in just the way that they come and begin to talk to Jesus because they say things Well, they hate Jesus. Don't Understand that, all right? So when they say something like we know you're a man of integrity, they don't believe that. It's hypocritical. It's a it's part of the trap. Well, you're a man of integrity. We know that you speak God's truth. You, you the way of God in accordance with truth. What they say, they don't believe that either. They're just sort of kind of laying it out there thick, hoping that this might be a way to get Jesus well, you know, they really they really respect me, they like me and and and, and so they come with this this what they think is a trick question and and uh, the question is should we pay taxes to caesar that's the question now they think they've really figured it out this time like they have in the other questions because it looks to them like there's no good answer because if he says no don't pay taxes to caesar well the romans are going to grab him and execute him they're done with him and 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 if he says yeah you need to pay taxes well then they think the crowd's going to turn on him because nobody wants to pay taxes um and that that's funny that's never changed (laughs) <laughs> so Jesus has a wonderful answer and he he also exposes their hypocrisy in ways you may not, you, you may not catch unless you read it um, because what he's asked for is a coin he's not got sitting on a coin who's got the coins? the Herodians why? Because they're the ones that are benefiting from the Roman occupation. They're sitting on the cash. So he asks for a coin that they have to give it up. Is a, it shows their hypocrisy right off the bat because they like the whole tax problem. They want all that to happen. They don't want anything to change. And, and he asks them for the coin, and his answer is so cool. Who's, whose picture is it? Caesar. What's it say? Well, Caesar. Well, okay then. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. What a great answer. And it, it's, it's one of those things, you know, Jesus says things that are so profound and, and so simple in, in the way that they're presented. But, but see, that's, what are the things of Caesar's? All the material stuff. What are the things of God's? What does he want? What do we give God? We give God our heart, our soul, our, 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 our being. That's what we're to give to God. Everything else doesn't really matter, guys, because it doesn't last. And and yet, we get attached to, and this was their problem. See, they were far more attached to the things that you could say were Caesar's than they were to the things of God. If they were attached to the things of God, none of this would be an issue. They would have seen him as Messiah. They'd have repented whatever you want. This is the best thing that's ever happened. Instead, they hate that he's come. And and it's because they're so attached to the things of Caesar's that they, they... they don't know. That's all they want. And again, this is for us. In, in the Caesars of the world, there will always be Caesars. How do you handle them? Give them what's theirs. Whatever. Because that's not what really matters. What really matters is your heart in relationship with God. That's all that matters. Everything else is a, is a separate issue because it doesn't last. It, it's only that relationship that lasts. And, and that's what he's bringing up to them. And he's pointing out there they're just their horrendous hypocrisy. So let Caesar let Caesar have his stuff, but give God your heart. That's that's where you find life in that process. Now, in verses eighteen through uh, twenty-seven, the Sadducees show up, and uh, the Sadducees are. I want to be careful I say this because I don't want to offend anybody because I don't mean to offend anybody. If the Pharisees were the conservative party. The Sadducees would be the liberal party. All right? So, so, they've all got error. Don't hear me picking on any particular group. Um, the Sadducees, and, and we always have a funny way of remembering the Sadducees, because the Sadducees don't believe in eternal life, and so they're sad, you see. Right? That's how you remember the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Um, and, and so the Sadducees... Um, have their own sort of religion that they present, a, a form of Judaism, and yet it's a very liberal form. Liberal form. They don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in the authority of the Word of God. They're, that's the Sadducees, okay? And so, you know, the Pharisees believe in all those things, but they're, they're, they're a huge mess as well. Okay, now, they come in, and they, they come with this question. So, so the Pharisees and the Herodians ganged up. They hate each other. They're, they don't work. They quit. They're like, okay, we can't. And so the Sadducees say, we'll show you how it's done. And in they come. And their question is, I, I, you know, it's, it's so ridiculous and hypocritical because they're asking them a question about the resurrection. Guess what? They don't believe in the resurrection. So, so they're asking a question about something they don't even believe in to try and trap Jesus. And their question is, it's a ridiculous question you ever know sometimes people when they try and when they're trying to uh, not deal with the heart of something but they're trying to find little loopholes start putting forth ridiculous um, possibilities to see well this is where it doesn't work and and so their 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 story is ridiculous um, because they're, they're right that, that uh, uh, if if uh, if a couple was married and the husband died before they produced children, it would fall onto the brother to fulfill that role. Um, I doubt there were many instances where s- there was such misfortune that seven brothers r- run through the wife, and th- there's no offspring, and they all die because you've got to know, brother number six and seven were not very happy. Yeah, I'm going to go with no here. <laughs> <'Kay>, no? <laughs> um, so it's ridiculous. And, and Jesus looks at him, And again, they're, they're, they're doing this whole thing, this whole thing of hypocrisy. And Jesus says, Look, you know, the problem with you guys is you don't even know the word. You represent yourselves as some sort of authority, and you don't even know what the word of God says. And, and he says, in, in the resurrection, it's not like it is now. He says, people aren't going to marry, be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels. Now, some people take that and think that we become angels. We don't. We're saints. But, but it's the same. Um, uh, it, it's different. Uh, and so it'll be different. And we're not going to continue to do the same things that we did here. And so, so there won't be marriage. Well, if you're married to someone, that means you won't see him. Of course you'll see him in heaven. What, what's the relationship going to be? I don't know. I think you'll be buddies. <laughs> um, I, it's just going to be different. I don't know how. But Jesus is saying it's different. It's a ridiculous question. He's saying that's, it's not going to keep being like it's being. It's, it's a totally different dynamic, a, a totally different paradigm. And, and so, uh, and, and then he, he goes after their lack of knowledge about the scripture and the authority of the word of God when he talks to them. And he says, and you know, you've, you've asked me this question about the resurrection, but you don't even believe the resurrection. Let me tell you why you're at fault. And he, and he goes back to a simple story that they all know when, when God appears to Moses in the bush. And what, what he says there is, he says, I am, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is that significant? Because by the time that Moses came along, those guys were dead. And if, if there wasn't an afterlife, and, and the way it's written, the tense that it was written in, he would have to said, I was the God of Abraham isaac and jacob but that's not what he said i am they still are because they still exist and and he's saying you know it's it's sort of the simplest sort of ideas that you're missing and if you if you don't get the simple stuff how in the world can you can you begin to represent the stuff that really matters and counts and 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 so the the sadducees were sort of sellouts and and just didn't get it but they were trying to trap, trap jesus with that whole question and i think it was after that he answers them isn't that they say nobody's going to ask him questions anymore <laughs> okay that doesn't work and so they're going to get him now it's we're almost done anyway we've only got a few days left in his life so so they're going to ultimately get him but we know that that really doesn't work in verses 28 through 37 another question is asked and finally it's an honest question then what's the most important commandment? Why is that such a big deal? Because they'd taken that 10 and they have made them 700, and what the Pharisees did was they had them all weigh the same. All of them were, all the stuff that they've added in there was important as anything else. So if they kept this other stuff, even if they were sort of not really catching this stuff, they were catching all these other rules that they'd followed about, I mean, ridiculous Sabbath laws like spitting in the sand. Do you know there was a Sabbath law that forbade spitting in the sand because if you spit in the sand hard enough and it made a furrow, that was considered work. And so they could feel good about themselves because they didn't spit in the sand, yet they're trying to kill Jesus. Do you get the hypocrisy? So, so someone finally asked him a decent question. What's the most important commandment? And he says, Love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these you could follow all these other rules, and if you don't follow this one, none of it matters. Because all that matters is your relationship with God, and then the relationship with others that comes from it. See, this answer provides the focus that Israel has lost. And they've made all their rules and rituals as important as what really matters, which is their relationship with God. and And when this man responds to Jesus... To love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor yourself is more important than all the burnt offering and sacrifice. It's greeted with this response from Jesus. You are not far from the kingdom of God. That's it. That's why he came. That's the message. And this guy's almost got it. He's coming out of that group. And he said, okay, so you're saying this is the most important thing. Jesus, that's it. You get that. You got it. The most important thing, love God with all that you are and then love others as well cuz that'll come out of it. Don't use other people to try and make things work for yourself, which is what had happened to the religion of Israel. It was it was totally taking advantage. It wasn't loving other people. It was just using them for their own benefit. And it had nothing to do with anymore with God, not really. They used his name somewhat. You know, they they, they said they honored him so much they wouldn't even speak his name and yet they they, they totally misuse people uh, consistently and over and over again. And this, this misplaced focus caused them to, to even not understand the scriptures when he talks about you know whose, whose son is, is the Christ. And, and they, they can't even get any of that anymore because it doesn't even matter to them. All, all that matters is what works for them and they're getting their thing in their own way and doing whatever they want to do and maintaining that status quo. As their ancestors had, and and on and on, and uh, he goes on in those last six verses to illustrate the greed uh, of of this particular situation, and and um, he says in there why they would make an outward show of their prayers, they would be devouring widows' homes and houses for themselves. They didn't care about people. Uh, the offering is is taken in the temple, and the the wealthy would come in and they'd drop big heavy coins in there so that they could people could hear. Look how much I'm given. And Jesus said the, the, the widow, when she came in with the two small coins, because she gave all she had, she was the one who was really making an offering. The others, didn't. it didn't even affect them. To give what costs you nothing is, is like giving nothing. But it's not about the outward deal. It's all about this. It's all about your heart. What you do on the outside isn't the issue. It's what's going on on the inside. Are you loving God with everything you are? Because that's what really matters. That's what, what faith is all That's what life is all about. Loving God with all that you are. And then out of that, doing the things that he tells you to do, not the other way around. It has to come from the heart. It's all about connection with God. And that's what he points out in Mark chapter 12. And there you have it. Eight o'clock. I'm done. Um, it, you can pass me your prayer request. Get those going if you're watching on the video. Uh, and you need prayer to let us know. Call us if you're up in uh, Williston. They will pray for you there. And uh, we're glad that you hung with us for that uh, for the teaching on Mark 12. And um, next week, you know what we're going to do? Mark 13. Very good.